Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Episode 108, I believe, of the Scott Gibson Show. I am Scott Gibson. Who else would I fucking be at this point? Sending a love and prayers to Ukraine, but they do not need a love or prayers. They need our guns and our bombs and our private jets. Our private jets, our pilots, our jets, our men on the ground. You're not getting it. You're not getting it. Is the message from the British government. Do they listen to the people? Do they? Fuck! World War 3 is coming. You know? It's, it's happening. Whether you like it or no, whether you're willing to accept it or no, uh, it's coming. It's coming and it's going to be upsetting. It's already upsetting. You know? Uh, currently the UK is doing its bit. It has sanctioned the uh, the oligarchs uh, by sanctioning. Uh, you know, it's told them that the sanctions are coming. And if you want to keep your millions and your mansions and your yachts 
um, you either better become a member of the House of Lords as quick as you can, or we're giving you 90 days to sell up. Isn't that kind of them? Eh? Isn't that kind of the British government? Isn't that kind of the Tories? Almost it makes you think that maybe they're doing this because there's billions of Russian fucking money running through the veins of the Tories. I mean, I'm just a common man. What would I know about politics? I imagine it's an expensive game to be a floppy-haired buffoon and somehow find yourself as Prime Minister. I imagine if you were once the mayor of the great city of London, I imagine you probably would want some back pockets filled from the Russian oligarchs. And now you find yourself in a position where you're going to have to take away the toys from the very men and women who put you there. It must be difficult to be a Tory scumbag bastard these days, eh? But at least the uh, the Home Office is doing its bit by allowing, at this moment, six and a half Ukrainian refugees. The half being someone who was uh, caught up in a mortar attack uh, in one of the humanitarian corridors. We seem to have a lot of people who are able to translate speeches from the UN or from various Russian and Ukrainian leaders. Possibly we could get someone to go over to Russia and explain them what a humanitarian corridor is. He thought he's a corridor of humans for us to... No, it's actually a, a corridor for people to leave, you know, peacefully and safely. Uh, okay, we, we make a mistake. Good news is we're on the list. Good news is we are on the list. Right, so there's no need to worry anymore. And now I think we might as well go full throttle. You know? The now, with regards to the war, we have been kind of dipping our, toe, dipping our toe into the icy waters of communism. That's a good line. The icy, that might be the title of this episode. The icy waters of communism. Dipping our toes in. We have stripped down to the Union Jack bungee smugglers. Bungee smugglers? Bungee smugglers. You know, smuggling a bungee. And we've dipped our toes in the water of war. But Russia has now uh, published a list, it's, and it's called, according to the media, a revenge list. 43 countries are on Russia's revenge list, and we have made the list. Yes, we have. So there's no point now in sitting back. There's no point now in saying to ourselves, we're not putting out a no-fly zone, because that would mean we'd have to start shooting Russian planes down, and if we do that, we're going to have to put soldiers on the ground, and if we do that, it's World War Three. well, guess what, we're on the list. We're on the list. The bold Putin, Putin, he's making a list, he's checking it once, he's going to tell us who's getting fucked after the war. UK is on the list to get fucked. There's no point in panicking now, there's no point holding back, there's no ifs, buts or maybes. We're on the list. I hope you've seen it, and if you've not, what a bloody list it is. Let me get a list up. Uh, Russia Revenge List. 43 countries have been placed on the Russian Revenge List. 43 nations facing retaliation for their support of Ukraine. Not my words, the people, the words of the people at the Metro, the highest regarded publication in the land. You struggle to find an honest journalist these days, but not at the Metro, they're fucking brimming with them. And they've put together this list. Um, Monday this was printed, Monday, it's now, it's now Wednesday. 
two, 40 years have passed. Who knows what Putin has placed, uh, what, what Putin has got in motion for these 43 countries, you know? And some of us are even looking at that map going, I mean, are we actually on that, Gibble? We are. We're on that. We're tiny. You know? This is the other thing. When you actually start to look at a map of the world and how big Russia is and how big Ukraine is and how big the fucking UK is, we are absolutely tiny, man. In comparison to these boys, absolutely tiny. But we've, we've made it. We're in the big leagues. We're in the revenge list, man. I mean, if you're, I, ima I imagine I, as an individual, are probably on a lot of revenge lists. But now, as a country, we can stand as one, united. So what do we do with that information? I have no idea. Do we sit back and we wait for the, the war to come to us? Or do we meet them head on in Belarus? Or Moldova? Or fucking one of the other countries that's close to it? I wish I'd done geography at school. I wish I'd actually listened at school. And then maybe I would be doing this. Um, caught this news article. Vladimir Putin. Uh, his regime has published a list of 43 unfriendly countries. Now, define unfriendly. Because I would say that the Scots... This, see, it's things like this when we need to differentiate between Scotland and the UK. You know? And I, and I wish that some of the Russians would say, I wish that the Russians would come and go, we have made the list 43 bastard countries who support Ukraine. You are, you're fucked. As soon as we're done bombing Kiev and finding that bastard bitch ghost of Kiev, we fucking, we hang him from Moscow Square, then we come after 43 uh, countries. Okay, not Scotland. You guys, you guys are crazy motherfuckers. You, you okay? But, but England, you fucked. And then I'd be like, yeah, maybe we're all right. I mean, we're still Team Ukraine, and and they need to realise uh, we've got the nuclear weapon. No, no, Boris, us, Helens, bro. You know, never, never before has has the people of Helens, bro, held so much power. Then when uh, Alberts used to run up down the beach with his Labradors, never has it been the centre of world media than when George Alberts, the hammer himself, could be seen running up and down Helensborough Beach. <laughs> oh... So, Vladimir, let's go back to the article, shall we go? What, what a start as well with the episode, man. 108, fucking welcome. You know, like and subscribe, smash the bells, man. Whatever the fuck it is the way and say. Uh, Vladimir Putin's regime has published a list of 43 unfriendly countries who face economic restrictions in retaliation for imposing sanctions on Russia. Now, you could argue this is a bit of a PR stunt from the Russians saying, hey, you fucking... Tell us you're not doing this and we're no giving you and back and forth and blah 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 and diplomatic nonsense and fine. But, you know, at a time when the Russians are invading Ukraine, it is a war. They do have nuclear powers. He's put them on standby. I don't want to be on any list for the Russians. Unless we're gone, you know, square go. The list includes all EU and NATO members. Oh, we're fucked then. As well as a host of financial powerhouses such as Japan, Singapore, Austra Australia and Switzerland. Fair enough, so Australia. A financial powerhouse, Australia. What? 
Uh, real estate purchases, financial trades, and deals involving loans in rubles will now require special authorization from the Kremlin. Uh, if they leave companies for countries on the list, spelling chaos for businesses for business, sorry, flowing in and out of Russia. Russian state media portrayed the move as a tough reaction to the international flurry of sanctions prompted by the invasion of Ukraine, which have cut off many Russians from international payment systems and nearly half the value of its currency. Um, also revealed the Kremlin's desperation to keep the Russian economy afloat as the regulatory measures were quietly diluted. Putin's government simultaneously announced measures enabling Russian companies and citizens to pay debts owed in foreign currencies to overseas leaders from hostile countries in rubles. Russian banks have been ordered to offer special ruble accounts into which rubles, how many times have we got to say rubles in this article, can be paid and converted into foreign currencies at central bank's office exchange rate, which is then paid to creditors. Comes as a major U-turn from the Kremlin who previously banned all transfers to foreign investors. I mean, in the name of fucking Christ. Uh, Mercy rising interest rate 20%, temporarily cushioned the currency's fall. The vast majority of Russia's $630 billion war chest of gold and foreign currency has now effectively been frozen, making it harder to put an artificial floor under the ruble's value. Boris Johnson, the fucking dwindling idiot, uh, was on Monday holding talks with Canada's Prime Minister, fuck me, and Dutch Prime Minister, big hitters here, uh, in London as part of a wide preparation for further sanctions against Russia. Later on he will join US President Joe Biden, I mean he can fucking get fucked as well. I suppose it's never been a better time, really, for Putin to go, do you know what, fuck it, I'm having a punt man, I'm having another shot at the title, I'm going for it. If, if anybody has seen any of Joe Biden's speeches lately, I would be, I would be worried if I was an American citizen. I mean, it's bad enough when I need to listen to fucking Boris Johnson, but listening to some of Biden's speeches recently have been unbelievable. Did, at one point, did they not call, did they not call the Ukraine Iranians twice? Did they not call them Iranians in his speech to Congress? The guys, I mean, he needs fucking, he needs Put it pasture, man. It's, it's almost torture the day of that man. So we've made the list. Good to know. Good to know we're on the radar. And that uh, everything's moving in the right direction. Well, now, I believe at this point, 14 days, two weeks into the invasion stroke war, we're also two weeks out of COVID. Which, uh, you know, every cloud, cause for celebration. Huh? Fair play to Putin. He may have, you know, started World War Three, but he's also put an end to COVID. And I'm going to be honest with you, if if I had known that the way to end COVID was simply for Russia to start the next World War, I probably would have said to him, hey, why don't you kick it off in the summer of 2022? Or 2020 even. What are you talking about, Gibble? Exactly, 2022 years ago. It's I do I do find and I know I understand that it is possibly a treasonous act to you know to dare speak speak ill of our national health service. But don't you find it a little bit interesting that we have gone in the space of twenty four hours from the invasion starting to the NHS once again being on the brink of collapse to suddenly two weeks into a war, not a fucking peep, not a peep. 
I thought we were all still dying in our thousands from Omicron or fucking Delta 2.0. I thought people were still dropping the flies. Covid is in the air. It is rife. The NHS is at breaking point. Suddenly, two weeks into a world war. Uh, listen, you know, uh, we're, all, we're all just pushed to our limits here. You know, we're, we're, we're shattered. We're fucking knackered, you know. It's, uh, we're going to be all right. My mother now has COVID. And, uh, you know, she's taking it as well as, as can be expected. She's fucking raging. <laughs> she's absolutely raging. She's fully jagged, every booster gone, and she's uh, she's raging. I phoned her. She told me she wasn't feeling well, right? And every time that she's said in the past that she's not feeling well, I've, you know, laughed and joked. It's COVID, as we have all done with friends and family. Family member phones you, I'm feeling terrible. It's COVID! You've got COVID! We joke, we jest. That's how far down the COVID line we now are. We joke that our family members have caught a virus that could potentially kill them. Or could it? I mean, there's still claims that actually only 17,000 people died from COVID in the UK because they were obviously all clambered in with their COVID-related deaths and the actual deaths from the virus itself was only 17,000. But I'm not here to spread misinformation. I'm not Joe Rogan, for God's sake. I wish I had his money. But, uh, oh, Margaret has it. Interesting fact as well. Uh, she actually got it from her, from her, her employer, her boss. Uh, even more interesting fact is that the uh, the woman actually works for the BBC in Scotland. And, uh, you know, she, she travelled home from a holiday abroad knowing fine well that she had COVID. Oh, imagine that guy. What an interesting story that would be. <laughs> anyway. So I called her uh, day one of the confirmed COVID uh, to which her response was, uh, I'm raging. Her, her actual words, I says, how are you feeling? She went, I'm raging. I'm raging. I can't believe you've got it. Now, most people would be, you know, I suppose some of us may be quite happy. Uh, at, at getting at this stage when you're all jagged up, the chances of you of you, you know, succumbing to the virus now are probably slim to none. So you've got a nice wee 10-day isolation in the house. Catch up on some box sets. You know? Make sure you're up to speed on Pam and Tommy. Huh? Very interesting programme, Pam and Tommy. Uh, also interesting around the times of uh, International Women's Day as well. When we, we stand by our, our brave women, our, uh, our influential women, strong women in our lives. And uh, a lot of people posting on social media about how much they're loving the programme, forgetting the fact that the, uh, the woman in question herself, Pamela Anderson Lee, put through uh, absolute emotional, uh, physical turmoil when the original tape was stolen and leaked. You cannot imagine the mental stress that the woman was put through uh, and now being made to relive it all over again for our entertainment. You know? Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that we talk openly about mental health and being kind to each other and in a programme which the woman has clearly stated she does not want to be made... It's now been forced to relive the horror all over again so we can watch Seth Rogen in a shit wig play an arsehole all over again. Wow. Almost as if a person's mental health and well-being isn't really that important as long as we're being entertained. Are you not entertained? Pamela Anderson Lee, I really don't want this programme to be made. I don't want to relive the horror that was a horrific part of my life and I do not wish for this programme to be made. Well, guess what, Pammy? Fucking Disney Plus have bought it, so it's getting made in. Wonderful. 
I did, however, watch. Uh, we're going off on a tangent here. I did, however, watch the uh, dual documentary, which is on Sky at the moment, uh, about Lewis Hamilton and uh, Max Verstappen to the end of last season. Now, I I am a fair weather uh, Formula One fan in the sense that if it's on and there's nothing else to watch, I'll watch it. I, I like Formula One. I like... I miss the old days when they used to refuel and cars would just catch fire. You know? I miss those days. I don't wish for people to be uh, hurt or maimed at their work, but there was something quite exciting and enjoyable about a car uh, rushing down uh, a lane and then spontaneously combusting. Uh, something quite exciting about that. Uh, and those days now are, are, are gone, obviously. Again, all sorts of error messages up on the screen here. This is the, the joys of recording. Joys of recording from a steampunk-powered Mac. Again, this is just reminding me as well. I, I, I have seen the news that the, um, you know, the, the Ukrainian Prime Minister is addressing the UK Parliament uh, currently setting up. They've got the Ibrox Beanback team down in the House of Parliament uh, erecting large screens in the chamber so that the uh, our MPs can have a beanback of the Ukrainians' fucking speech, man. It must be exciting for them. It must be a nice time, you know? They're setting up the beanback in the House of Parliament um, so that everybody in unison can turn around and tell you to fuck off. It's, I mean, really, it's effectively what, what this country is doing. I don't know what we're all doing our bit. You know, many of you have changed your social media profile to a blue and yellow screen. Uh, some of you are wearing badges. Some of you may have even donated money to the DEC appeal. Fine. But we don't have the power to change anything. You know? We can put as much pressure as we want on this government to do more for Ukrainian people. We can sit at home and we can eat our fucking new McDonald's offering of the chicken Big Mac. Oh yes, distraction, distraction, distraction. Sit at home in your warm house. Yes, your fucking gas prices are going through the roof. Your electricity's gone up. Your council taxes gone up. You're working to fucking exist. But you can sit there with your new McChicken Big Mac. zippity doo da Stick on your news. And you can watch videos, clips, over and over again of innocent men, women and children being shot and killed in explosions. And even if you get to the point where you go, we have to do something about it. We have to pressure our government to go and help these people. We have to pressure our government to do more than they are doing. We have to pressure our government to allow people escaping a war zone to come to this country and be given safety for as long as they need. We can think these things and we can want to do that and we can pressure the government as much as we want. But what will happen? Fuck all will happen. Fuck all will happen. We couldn't even get rid of Boris when he was having parties uh, in lockdown. We couldn't get rid of the bastard. All that's forgotten about. I don't even know what I was saying there. I was getting myself so angry. I don't even know what I was saying. I was talking about the beanbag. What was I say? Aye, the beanbag. And then I was talking about... Uh, uh, do you know what it was? Because I'm thinking about the Apple. Because Apple's making a fucking statement, or made a statement on, on, the, on the 8th of March 
about usual shit. Here's the new stuff that's coming out for Apple. Geez, all your money. And and I saw people tweeting about that during the day. About excited to watch it. And I'm going, there's a fucking war on, man. There's a literal war on. And people are tweeting excitement about Apple. But then, I mean, who am I to, to even question that? Because, you know, life has to go on. And I suppose more people do care about, you know, the new Apple product that's coming out. More people will care about that than they will about the situation in Ukraine. And I get it. Listen, I get it. I understand. You want to be distracted for life. What better would be distracted than a new Apple computer? You know, it's, it's probably easy to digest. It's easy to understand. But this is why people like Vladimir Putin and the, the Russians can do whatever the fuck they want. Because when push comes to shove, we would rather be distracted by an Apple announcement. So I was watching the F1 documentary. <laughs> oh, tangent city of the day, man. I was watching the F1 documentary and um, I knew there was, I never saw the final race of last season. I knew that uh, Max Verstappen, who's the bad guy, he's Russia in this, and uh, Lewis Hamlin, who's the Ukraine, right? Good versus evil. They had gone into the final race on equal points. And I think, now I could be wrong, as I said, I'm not a massive uh, Formula One fan. I've got a very itchy nose, man. Fucking some Shane Ward coke. Very itchy nose. And um, they got into the final race on exactly the same points. I don't know if it's ever happened in Formula One history, but they've gone in on the exact same number of points, effectively saying whoever wins this last race wins the championship. Max Verstappen going for his first ever world title, Lewis Hammond going for his eighth world title, and um, it was very interesting, it's a two-parter, it's about an hour and ten minutes in each, and it kind of just showed you the inner workings of the relationships within Formula One, the hierarchy within Formula One, the manipulation that goes on within Formula One. And those of you who are F1 fans will know it came to the final race. Lewis Hamilton is miles in front. He's winning it. He's he's got the thing sewn up in the bag so much so that the uh, commentators actually went to do uh, an interview, a chat, a live chat with um, Christian Horner, who is the Red Bulls, um, is it principal manager? Is that what they're called? And even Christian Horner is saying that you know, uh, barring a miracle, Lewis Hamilton has has won this. I imagine at that point the miracle he's alluding to would be to lose Hamilton to have a crash, right? So then what happens is someone else has a crash, a uh, safety car is sent out, Mike Verstappen comes in pits to put on new tyres, Lewis Hamilton asks if he wants to come back in to get new tyres, they decline. New tyres obviously being an important factor because the newer your tyres, the fresher your tyres, you're going to have more grip and more speed. But the way it would work is a safety car will go out, they'll all bunch up, it'll go for one further lap, Lewis Hamilton will, will win the one lap, and he's won the race because he should win it, because he's led for the whole fucking race. There are five cars between him and Verstappen. The chances of Verstappen overtaking five cars within one lap and, and shortening that time and then overtaking Lewis Hamilton, it's not going to happen. So everything's still fine. The race director comes over the mic and announces that the five cars, the lap cars, will not be allowed to overtake, as is the rules, from what I understood in the documentary. Then, for some reason, and they allude to the fact that the Red Bull team has been in his ear and have developed this relationship over time, he then comes back on and announces that the five cars who have been lapped have to be allowed to pass 
in order to catch up and rejoin the back of the race, effectively putting Verstappen and Hamilton now right next to each other, when before they had five cars between them and a vast time difference. So explain to me how that was fair. And then you can imagine what happens. The, the race begins and uh, off the pop, they have now gone from being a huge distance apart to now being side by, literal side by side. And Max Verstappen on the fresh tyres overtakes Lewis Hamilton and wins and wins the World Championship. The, 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 the fact that that was allowed to happen is shocking. The, the, the race, um, the guy who's responsible for the racing, is it race, the principal race? I, I can't remember his official title. He's obviously been fired from his job. Um, there's a bit later on in it when Max Verstappen's been interviewed and he says, I think they threw him under the bus a wee bit. They buried him, is the exact words. He says, they buried him. No one stood up for him. And I went, they buried him because of you, you cunt. You cost that man his career because you wanted to win the world title and you couldn't take it that Lewis Hamilton beat you on the day. And I don't buy into this whole fact of people's arguing that over the season, Max Verstappen won more races. I don't care. You, you had the exact same points. That's why there's a point system. You had the exact same points going into the end, and Lewis Hamlin was beating you. Lewis Hamlin was beating you by a considerable distance. And you had to cheat your way to a victory. I really do hope that Lewis Hamlin comes back this season and wins the whole damn thing. I hope he fucking smashes him out of the water. I hope Verstappen doesn't even get close. I hope he's not even in the running. Because watching that back and seeing the full ins and outs of it, it was, it was shocking. It was absolutely shocking. Give it a watch, but it's worth it. It's, it's, Formula One's quite interesting. There's a good documentary on, I think it's Netflix, where it's basically like behind the scenes of Formula One, and it's a very interesting... It's a very interesting sport. There's so much politics involved. It's, it's almost like a soap opera. It's like a, a TV soap meets a sport all mixed in. It's unbelievable, man. I think... I can't even remember what the what the documentary on Netflix is called, but it's F1. So if you put an F1, it'll, it'll come up. You'll find, you'll find it, you know what I mean? Aye, poor Lewis. Poor Lewis, man. Robbed. Robbed at the end. But then you probably think to yourself, Gabo, is that something that's really important considering everything that's going on in the world? It's probably not. It's probably not. So let's let's move on with some other exciting news items. Right, um, I mean with you know, there's 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 really there's really no good news. In the world at the moment, it's um, it's all pretty it's all pretty upsetting. However, not not many news stories more upsetting than this. And and I suppose in, in the situation that we find ourselves in, when Russia, right? And there might be some of you going, Gabo, stop going on about Russia at this moment in time. I can't because it's 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 dominating everything, right? And I don't think we realise how much the situation is going to affect us. Not just oil and gas, but things like wheat. And the, the number of the, the levels of production that Russia controls. And even things like oil and gas. People are are, are currently now focused on the price of petrol at the pump. The price of petrol at the pump. But this situation affects everything. It'll affect the cost of food. It'll affect every single product you have because these things need to be delivered. Which again, the trucks have to run. Stuff has to be brought in through freight. Through freight. All of this adds to cost, and all of this cost is passed on to us, the common man and woman, the mugs. And and people might be sitting going, 
I'm not really getting involved in the Russia situation because it doesn't affect me. Well, it does affect you, and it does affect us all. And this is how it's affecting us. Because for the first time in fucking human history, a Greg Sausage roll is set to cost more than one pound. That's right. So if you're sitting at home going, listen, just let Putin do what he does, man, that doesn't affect us. A sausage roll is going to cost more than a pound. And you're telling me that this war isn't affecting you. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else I need to say. Imagine, imagine a time when a sausage roll for Greg's could cost more than a pound. If somebody, you know, when you were a young, a young lad, a whippersnapper, up and down the high street, enjoying a Greg, even when Greg's went through that huge refurbishment, when they try to turn themselves into some kind of like fancy American diner, and you would go in, and those Greg's workers would be forced, forced, very much like the Russian people, forced to greet you with a smile. When we all know that Greg's staff just want to spit on you, they hate you. But that's why we love Greg's. They hate us. We hate them. We hate ourselves for being there. We all wish we had the kind of money to go to Pret. I mean, they killed a fucking wee lassie on a plane, for God's sake. Sold her a sandwich for a nuts. She exploded in midair. And they fuckers are still trading. But we wish they had the money to go to Pret for some fancy Italian sausage roll. Or a prawn sandwich. We wish we could go there. Would you like a single piece of fruit for £14? I fucking wish I had the money to go to Pret. But I don't. I go to Greg's. For a sausage roll and a yum yum. And a coffee. Some of the worst coffee you'll ever have in your life. But my God, what a strong cup it is. And the pure disdain for humanity that the staff and Greg's have. It's wonderful. And sometimes I just stand in Greg's in a queue, because there's always a queue. And I look at the people behind the till. And I think, what horror have you gone through in your life that has led you to this point? But even if you could go back 10, 15 years, and you stopped an average person in the street and said, do you know that at one point, soon in the future, a Greg sausage roll is going to cost more than a pound? You would think to yourself, I hope to live to be that age, because you may be thinking, I'll be 110 by that time, no, no, it's now, it's now, article again for the Metro, it's the only place to get your news these days, uh, it's bad news for sausage roll devotees, as Greg's has warned, prices could rise for a second time this year, due to a soaring staff and ingredient cost, I mean in the name of fucking God man, the bakery chain is facing an increase of up to 7% in the name of fuck in its running expenses and says it can't rule out passing the extra costs on to customers. The looming price hike comes as inflation in the UK hits a record high and the cost of living continues to surge. I mean, it's got to surge through the roof now if I saw she's only barely a pound. Profits will also be squeezed by global prices uh, rise as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Russia and Ukraine supply around a third of the world's wheat export. What did I tell you? Uh, and Ukraine is a major supplier of sunflower oil. Greg's has vowed to try and protect his reputation for providing outstanding value for money, but the company said in a statement that rising costs um, necessitated some price increases which were made at the start of the year, adding further charges are expected to be necessary. Oh, my God, man. Oh, my 
good. Oh, my God. 2020, year of COVID. 2021, COVID continued. 2022, the rise of the Sussies Row. Mr. Whiteside, Greg's CEO, said, um, we've got no plans to raise prices currently, but obviously uh, what's going on have to remain under review given the way the markets are moving around the world and commodity food prices in particular. If the market allows prices to increase, uh, we will have to pass them on to customers. Uh, we, will, we will attempt to absorb costs first. If it doesn't, then we won't be able to hold back. He added, pandemic um, saw Greg's profits crumble as it announced its first loss in 36 years going almost 14 million into the red in 2020 when many branches were forced to close but it swung back um, into the black last year raking in 145.6 million profit before tax I mean now listen I am you know in jest making fun at the you know situation of a Greg Sosiro costing a pound you know but I'm sure those of you who are educated listeners to the podcast uh, can read between the lines. Because obviously I, I make fun about a sausage roll costing a pound. And we make fun about things like Greg's. But the reality is, and, and probably a lot of people don't like to, to admit it. A lot of people don't like to, to think about it. But Greg's serves a place for many people. It serves a place for, for most of us where we go in there and we get a cheap coffee, a quick coffee, and maybe a cake or a bun or a sandwich, or indeed, a sausage roll. But for many people, and that's the worrying thing, for many people across this country, Greg's is possibly their only viable option of a warm lunch. It's the only option they have. For a lot of people getting a sausage roll or a steak bake, or, or some kind of meal deal out of Greg's, it's potentially their only option they have because they cannot afford anything else. And we can laugh and we can joke all we want. But at the same time, the other thing that we need to start thinking about, another thing that we need to be aware of, is every single company at this moment in time who is raising their prices, they are raising their prices to protect their profit margins. I mean, look at that news story there. 2020, two years ago because of the pandemic, Greg's, according to this article, made its first loss in 36 years. So in 36 years, it has been a profitable company. It's made profit every single year. Now that is not profit from its sales. That is profit from everything. Its operating costs, its staffing wages, its raw ingredients, every single thing that is involved and maintaining and running that business, it has made a profit on top of that for 36 years. One year, 2020, it lost 14 million. Now, 14 million is a huge sum of money. If any of us had 14 million, our lives would change overnight. But then look at the other figures. It swung back into the black. One year back into the black. That was an Amy Winehouse song. It swung back into the black one year later in 2021. 37 years, 
One year it suffers a loss, 14 million. Then it swings back into profit, and you may be thinking, well, if it lost 14 million, maybe its profit is like maybe 2 million. It's clawed that back. Its profit, 145.6 million. 145.6 million is the profit that it made. So you take off the 14, 141, 140 for easy mass. In two years, it's made a profit of 140 million. Now, as its cost rise, I get it. Cost rise, fine. You know, we've talked about wheat, we've talked about oil and gas. But how is it these companies cannot take this profit and just level it out? If you are a company and you are covering all your costs, your operating costs, your staffing costs, everything is covered and you're making a profit of £100. Still a profit, everything's covered. You're making a profit of 100000 a million, fine, but a profit of £140 million. And you still have to raise the price of your products that are used, a service that is utilised by the poorest group of people in society. But a profit of 140 million just isn't enough. It isn't enough for some companies to say, well, we're not going to change our pricing. We're not going to put up the cost of petrol. We're not going to put up the cost of diesel. We're not going to put up the cost of food because we are going to absorb that cost because we have had 36 years of profiting from our customers. This is the stuff that's that's getting me when I'm seeing the cost of things rising and I am listening to the news and I'm talking about those costs and that expense being passed to the consumer even though companies continue to turn a profit. I mean, we had news the other day that Shell, good old Shell, eh, has decided to stop buying Russian oil. It's made a commitment. It's like, listen, we're, we're done with it. You know? We've, we've, we've heard, all, we've seen all the stories Wayne's line did Granny's been shot out of buildings and we've said enough is enough and people thought fucking fair play to Shell then it emerges that of course a week into the war and literally one week before it made this announcement Shell had gone out and acquired a vast sum of crude oil from Russia at a knockdown price it then puts out some wishy-wash statement saying it understands and it sees that that was a bad move and a mistake to make, but it's not giving the oil back. It's not dropping its price. So at the time, there was an, a tank, an oil tankard, full of Russian crude oil. I believe at the time, and I want to say it was trading about $120 a barrel. And because the oil is on this tanker, the ship, and it needs to go somewhere, and Shell's argument was that it still had to make the commitment that it had to its suppliers, so it has to get the oil for somewhere, they made a deal with the Russian oil company and they were given a discount of $20 on a barrel. So not only is Shell making a great deal for that oil, it's making even bigger profit when it sells it because it's now selling it at the inflated price even though it's bought it at a discounted price. And then once it does that and it sends it to its petrol station and it sends it to its pumps and you go out there and you pay £1.60 for a litre or whatever the fuck it is you're paying, it then comes out with a statement going like, listen, um, I know we shouldn't have done that but it was just it was just too good a price to turn down, you know, and we fucking, we love a bargain. I mean, fair play them. So do we. British people love a bargain. It doesn't matter that there's women and children lying dead in the street. We fucking love a bargain. Fucking Greg's man. <laughs> a Greg Sausage Roll should come with a five pound voucher to get petrol in your motor. 
and I know again I'm going off and I'm ranting here and I'm being a bit daft because at the end of the day it's a sausage roll, right? And it probably is worth a pound. I mean, the fact that you're buying any hot food for under a pound is mental. But then don't put out a statement and don't give it the big guy I am about. You know, we've got to absorb these costs as much as we can and eventually, sadly, we're going to have to pass them on to the customer when you've been turning a profit of 140 million. You fucking dicks. Uh, what else is this? And the company also unveiled plans to extend later opening times in 500 shops across the nation. It will start offering delivery from 1,300 stores up from 1,000. Greg's increased its slice of profits despite the UK food-to-go market remaining depressed and commuter footfall stubbornly below pre-COVID levels, says Ross Hindle, data analyst at Third Bridge. He warned with a low wow factor of its vegan offerings, now a distant memory, Greg's needs to provide more innovative and broad meal and drink choices, experts say. Staff uh, who have been with the business for more than six years and work 20 hours a week are set to take home an £800 bonus. Good, good for you. Good for Greg's. I'm sure they can use that bonus money to buy sausage rolls at a discount price. Do you get, do Greg's staff get discounts? Do they get a Greg's card? Is a Greg's card a thing? You know, like a black uh, Nando's card. Listen, I love Greg's, man. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love it, you know? And people who say things like, I mean, what is actually in that sausage roll? Lips and arseholes. I do not care. I love it. It's, it's delicious. It's tasty. But I do get annoyed when certain companies bang on about having to pass these costs on to, on to consumers, on to me and you, when they're turning profits of hundreds of millions of pounds. It just, it just isn't right, you know. And I, and I get that. There's not going to be any moral and morals in business. I get that. But it just feels as if everything is going to get to a point where something has to give, man. And and we cannot continue to be on this route in this road where we are literally knocking our pan in five days a week, and all you have to show at the end of it is that you put everything out to pay bills. It just, it just isn't right, man. It just is not right. Right, what else have we got here? Um, let's do that. Let's do this story, which is absolutely shocking. If I'm being honest with you, when I when I first saw it, I, I mean, I was trying to find, I was trying to find actually some nice-hearted, joyful um, news stories, and I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I'm going to be honest with you. And then when I when I saw this, I thought, in the name of the wee man. I hope the woman is alive and well. And, oh my God. That was a burp and a sneeze at the same time. I, I do apologise. Excuse me. Oh. So before we go into that, let me just say this. On International Women's Day as I record this podcast, shout out to my missus, who is not only an incredible woman, the best woman I've ever met, she is now also uh, a registered uh gas and oil engineer and I know you're thinking Gibble you're taking us a bit far with the whole gas and oil situation your missus has now become corgi registered but we were without heating in our uh, in the house for two days and it just happened to be the, the coldest two days in the history of fucking humankind uh, again sod's law as soon as the, the heating came back on it was a fucking beautiful scorching day outside so we didn't need the heating on I've got oil heating, right? Which is possibly the worst time you have oil heating. Um, 
Oil heating. My fault. Let the oil run down, right? Not to dry, although I am frustrated. I looked in the tank. I can see myself reflecting the red diesel. There's oil in the tank, right? But the heating's not coming on. And I'm realising that the pipe, the kind of funnel, the valve that draws the oil from the tank is slightly above the level of the oil. Now, there's oil in there. There's probably a good eight inches of oil. I mean, that's a, that's a couple of, you know, a dozen litres at least. But it's never going to get to that because it's just underneath the, the funnel, the valve bit. So it's pulling air and it's no turn the heat on and couldn't get the heat right. So two days to do it. The missus phone's a letting agent. Uh, letting agent is cheeky as fuck. And this is a horrific letting agent. It's it's one I've only very... I've only ever had it once in the past where I've had a letting agency and they're just horrible people. And it really does put... It makes you feel differently about the property. I love this house. The house is great. It's a great size. I've, uh, I even moaned the other day. I was walking I was walking for the living room. We were watching some of the telly and I got for a pee and I'm walking and I... I actually had to stop my, I mean, I said it, and then after I said it, I kind of went into my head going, what the fuck is wrong with you? I, I I complained that I had to walk too far to get to the bathroom. I complained my house is too big, <laughs> and I had to walk through, I was what I walked through the living room, I walked down the hall, into the big hallway, and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm walking for miles just to go for a piss, and so I found myself complaining my house is too big, which, you know, I mean, fucking middle class problems. Anyway, the, um, I love the house, and because the letting agency we've got, they're they're assholes, right? They're just they're just fucking horrible assholes, and it, it has it's it's made me feel a little bit different about the house, and uh, I hope that feeling goes. Uh, if no, I'm going to find someone else, and then I'll be fucking gone anyway. So, no help to us, right? I came back in late one night, and uh, came out of the garage, and uh, the house is is stinking of oil, right? And I thought, what the fuck has happened? And my missus is covered in grease, and I was like, hello, sexy, and uh, I, I panic because the front is off the, the kind of boiler, the boiler system for the for the oil heating, right, and I thought, uh-oh, what's going on? She then proceeds to tell me, she's been reading manuals, right, and, and she's been watching YouTube videos, and I'm like, to be fair, you've gone to a far more extent than any man would, because I would have probably ripped it off, started turning levers, and kicked it, and went, it's fucked in, you need to phone a man in, Long story short, we eventually got it working. Somebody for the village came up to help. And uh, turns out that my missus was doing everything right. She just wasn't draining the the system for long enough. She was a bit worried that she was doing it too long. And actually, she should have done it longer. But everything she was doing was right. And I was very impressed because I thought, if anything ever happens again, we know now how to fix it and how to bleed the system and, and how to draw it on. And it's great. But getting the oil in and getting the heating back on, man, it was just, it was so joyful, man. See, going for that first shower, no having a wash in two days, I was, I just felt minging, blasting hot water. I was like, oh, yes, baby Jesus, clean my soul. But very impressed by, the, by a good lady. She's some woman, man. She's some woman, got stuck in there, and uh, she fixed her heating. So we're now, we're now, we're now full up, couple of hundred litres in the tank, cost a bloody fortune. But uh, heating's back on. And of course, since the heating's gone on, the, the sun has been shining. You know, the sun's been shining. Sod law. Right, back to this story. So, when I saw this, I thought, in the name of the wee man, this is some story. And it is this. Uh, a mother gives birth to a £11, 5 ounce baby 
the same size as a bowling ball. And I thought, holy fucking shit, what is going on? 11 and a half, 11 pound 5 ounce, almost 11 and a half pound. Now I was what, 8 pound 4? I was a big baby because I remember my dad phoning my grandpa and he's like, how, how heavy is he? He's like, he's 8 stone 4. And he's like, what? I went, uh, 8 pound, 8 pound 4. But this wing, 11 pound 5. I don't know if the mother is still with us. I, I, I hope to God that the, the wing was cut out the sunroof because look at the size of that wing. That is a fucking unit. What a bloody baby that is. That's a monster. A monster. 11 pound 5 ounce wing. Jesus Christ. Now, is this global warming? Is this GM foods? What is this? Because it felt as if there was a time, maybe like five, six years ago, when all these wains were coming out and they were totty. They were the size of a pea. And then a big 11 fucking pounder comes along. <laughs> and I, I like the way it's all, that the, the reference is the size of a bowling ball. I mean, that kid's going to grow up to have <laughs> some issues anyway. Um, I also don't know where this is from. The baby, I mean. I know where the story's from. So the Metro. So it's the only place to get news. I feel as if this is either going to be an American thing or Eastern Bloc. The the women out there are different a different breed. Strong like bear. Like Geordies. You know? And I imagine if anybody's gonna fire out an eleven pound plus baby, it's an Eastern European. Helen Sellers. Helen Sellers. 34, gave birth to her daughter, Celia, five weeks ago, who weighed a whopping 11 pound 5 ounce. Holy shit. The mum of two, a mental health nurse, a mental health nurse, she's going to need some counsel after that, even said that Cecilia was one of the biggest babies her midwife had ever delivered in 16 years. I mean, that is a claim to fame. I suppose, and this is the thing, because you have big babies and you have wee babies and they grow up to be the opposite. You can have big babies that grow up to be wee people and wee babies that grow up to be big people. So just because you're a big baby doesn't mean you're going to be a big person, right? I was your standard baby and I'm fucking massive. So it doesn't really matter, right? But if you're going to if you're gonna be born, I suppose you maybe do want to break some records, you know? Yeah, I imagine as a father you want to be handed your child and for the midwife to go, that is the most beautiful baby I've ever seen. Or... They hand you and go, in my, all my time, 16 years on the tool, son. That's the biggest bastard baby I've ever seen. That's probably what you want to hear. Again, it's the, it's the stupid nature of the, of the male mentality, right? You probably, as a man, you're like, oh, damn right, fucking father, the biggest bastard baby ever. My wife will never walk again. She's completely lost her legs, but what the size of weight on her? 11 pound, 5 ounce. Uh, Celia's brother, Roman... Uh, he weighed nine pound, fucking big boy. Uh, and Helen, uh, husband, what? And Helen and husband Carl, thirty-seven, were both under nine pound. Right, standard. Helen from Leeds, uh, they're UK, they're English. Uh, said Carl, six foot seven. In the name of God, uh, but he wasn't a big baby. So I'm not sure why Cecilia was so big. Oh, I suppose means, huh? Uh, while I was pregnant, my consultant said the baby was going to be big, but not as big as Roman. I never expected her to be that weight. We played guests away with the family and my cousin put 11 pounds and I thought that was cheeky, but it was right. Celia had to go straight into the, oh my God, the baby Celia had to go straight into not to three month old clothes when she came into the world as none of the newborn clothes would fit her. Oh, the wee lamb. I'd bought a couple of baby grows um, that were up to one month and I didn't even bother getting them out the packet. Helen said I knew they wouldn't fit her. 
In just five weeks, she's already in three to six month clothing and Cecilia's large size also impacted Helen's labour, meaning she had to have a cesarean. Thank God for that, Helen. Now, listen. The 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 birth of the miracle of childbirth astonishes me and terrifies me. Terrifies me. I don't I don't understand these people who are and I, and I, obviously I'm I'm a man. I'll never understand the joy of of childbirth, but I've done a couple of Guinness shakes in my time, so I feel your pain. I don't get this whole thing of I want a natural birth. I want to shake it in a bubble bath of water, smelling salts and looking out on the fucking swinging baskets of Babylon. Fill yourself with as many drugs as possible. And if they offer you a sunroof, cut the bastard out. Cut it out. There's no, there's no heroes here, love. You're, you're, you're not, what, you may get an extra chocolate biscuit for firing out a £11 baby. Fuck that. Uh, Helen, the mother, said, I had to have a C-section and it took them ages to get her out. They, no wonder. No wonder. They're probably having to move every fucking organ in your body. Cut your spine off to get an 11-pound baby. They probably had to get a winch in. I imagine the, the, the midwives sent somebody out to get her husband who's a mechanic and he brought in one of the winches that lifts fucking engines at a Ford uh, Corsa. A Ford Corsa, a Vauxhall. Oh, come on, Scott. A Ford. I was going to say a Ford Cortina. I'm like, how old's that reference? Some guy in fucking oil overalls, and he's just got the, the mask on, covering his face. Right, let's get this chain up now. An eleven pound baby, the name of Christ. I initially wanted to try a natural delivery. I bet he did ten, but I'm glad I didn't. Obviously, because you'd have fucking ripped your legs off. You're asshole about a windsock. <laughs> she says, I'm not sure it would have come out. It wouldn't have come out. They had to fucking rip both your arse cheeks off to fire at an £11 baby. Here we go, this is a good bit. The record for the heaviest baby in the UK, here we go, is held by Guy Carr, who was born in 1992 at £15.8. Holy shit! <laughs> £15. How many? Hold on. How many pounds are in a. There's fourteen pound in a stone. He's a fucking stone. He's one. He's one stone. Somebody gave birth to a one stone baby. One stone, one pound. Holy shit! Did the woman survive that? Guy Carr, nineteen ninety two, fifteen pound eight ounce. He too was delivered by C section. Obviously, although George Joseph King was born in two thousand thirteen at fifteen pound seven ounce. Gee, oh my god. Is the largest to be delivered naturally? What the fuck? That woman delivered a fifteen pound seven ounce baby with a natural. But oh my, oh my! Give it, listen. See all this bullshit about footballers getting fucking uh, peerages, knighthoods, and everything. That woman should be given a knighthood. All of the women. If you have delivered a baby naturally. That is fifteen pound seven ounce. You should be given the keys to a city. You, you should, you should be a superstar. You shouldn't pay tax the rest of your life. You, you should, you should be given a free house and a, and a knighthood. You should be a dame. Put her in the house of lords instead of the fucking oligarchs or uneven standard. If you have delivered a baby that is fifteen pound seven ounce, you shouldn't have to fucking work a day in your life. I don't imagine she does work a day in her life. I imagine she's doing a vegetable. Bloody hell. 
That's, that's actually giving me a pain in my fucking bollocks. Thinking about that. A £15 baby. During the pregnancy, Helen had a big bump, obviously, and a few people asked if she was having multiple bambinos. Helen said, my bump was huge. I always had people asking if I was having twins. She says, no, I'm just having one big... Maybe it was twins. Maybe it was maybe twins, and he fucking absorbed it into one giant baby. Who knows? There was one lady at work who asked me a few times if I was sure it wasn't twins. The doctor tested me for gast... gast... gastinal diabetes. But they were negative. I can't even say that word. Helen, good luck to you, hen. And to baby Celia, I hope you're all safe and well. Because that is... That is some fucking shift you've done, hen. Jesus Christ. I mean, £11.5 is monstrous, but a £15.7... Holy spirit, activate... That'd be terrifying, man. That would be terrifying. <laughs> You'd be worried that it's going to come out like fully formed. All right, what's happening, troops? We fagging, they go. 15 pounder, here we go, man. Record breaker. Jink that's on his Tinder profile. Oh, that's his opening line at a dinner party. So tell us something interesting about yourself. I'm the fucking biggest baby ever born in the UK, mate. Ripped my motte shreds, my man. 15 pound seven. What a great claim to fame that would be. For all the people that are famous right now in the UK, all the fucking Love Islanders and the Instagram influencers and all these arseholes, why is it not common knowledge that the man who's the fucking heaviest baby ever born in the UK, why is he not a celebrity? 15 pun 7, my man. Natural, squeeze me right out, mate. What a mess I made. <laughs> I've not spoke to my more since, man. Fucking what a mess. Holy smokes. <sighs> what what a time to be alive, team. What a time to be alive. And we're gonna finish on this. We're gonna finish on, on on one story. Which is uh It's a horrible story. It's a horrible situation, man. And it's one that I think we should discuss and I think people should talk about it and I think we maybe need to have more things like this just now because I do think the situation in in Ukraine is horrendous and I am worried that as it goes on it just becomes another part of the news it becomes another part of our lives something that we talk about but we never really act on we had a time during Covid when we would all go out and clap for the NHS and the BBC would take great delight in sharing videos of people leaving chocolates on top of their neighbour's car because their neighbour was a nurse or they were going off to work and doctors and staff nurses crying as they would come home as neighbours were out in the garden clapping. And it was a beautiful thing and stuff like that does something, I suppose, to the human psyche and it makes us feel as though we're involved, but the reality of it is we're not involved at all. We... We can do a lot for the situation in Ukraine. Some of you, I imagine, have. You can donate money. You can be involved in, in, in trying to pressure government. You can organise petitions to be signed. Some of you may even be going over there to offer support firsthand. But it's important that I think we remember these things are, are real and it's actually happening. This is a real war. People are dying. Innocent people are being killed on both sides. 
in Ukrainian and the Russian side. You see videos of people getting dragged away in, uh, in Moscow Square outside the Kremlin who are protesting this and you think they'll fucking never be seen again. And we say it flippantly, I say it all the time. I, I saw a video the other day of a, a, a boy, a student, uh, having a sign kicked to his hand by Russian police and then dragged off into a van. And I said stupidly, I went, oh, he'll never be seen again, that's him dead. And it probably is. But this is how cheap human life is. We can joke about it. And I suppose we can joke about it because it's no in our faces yet, it's no our reality. But as much as it may be an exaggeration of a third world war, we don't know how this is going to pan out. We really don't. And when I saw this one, it made me think of the video that I'd seen of the old couple being passed over the German family as well. And this is the, the stuff that you may have seen in the news. It's an 11-year-old boy who had travelled across the Slovakian border, I believe. We'll probably find out more when we read this article. 11 years of age, he appeared at the border unaccompanied. He had a, a backpack with a few bits and pieces in it, and he had a telephone number written in his hand, which I believe is for his family. Imagine for a situation, imagine for a minute, those of you who have children, find yourself in a position where you have no better option than to send your child off towards a border unaccompanied, in the hope that he might find safe refuge there. Imagine... Imagine for a second how terrified that family must have felt sending that young boy off with nothing more than a, a backpack full of bits and pieces and a phone number written in his hand in the hope that you possibly survive the horror that you are in and that he can one day maybe make his way back to you or you can find him. It must have been absolutely horrendous. I watched a video of and it's the first time that I, I, I cried watching something on the news about Ukraine. And it was a, a guy who had brought his elderly parents to, to a border and they were being handed over to a German family. He'd, he'd met them on social media, he'd been talking to them and this German family had agreed to take his elderly mum and dad in and look after them. And he'd taken them to the border and then he had to go back to fight because, as you know, men between 18 and, eight, and 60, they're not allowed to leave the country. They have to go and defend Ukraine, they have to fight. His father, I think, has a form of dementia or, or, or some other disability. Never met these people in their life. Don't really know anything about them other than what they've discussed in social media. And he met this German couple at the border and then he hands his mother and father over to them. And he turns to go back. God knows where he's came from. God knows how far or how long he's travelled. He turns to go back. And his father's want to come with His father doesn't understand what's going on. And it really upset me and I thought, imagine getting to that point where you literally are handing over the most important people in your life in the hope, and to a stranger, in the hope that someone will look after them. And imagine doing that with your children. Imagine you're in a situation where you're a single father, you've maybe been a horrific time where you've lost your mother and you've got two kids, three kids, whatever, one kid. And you've got to hand them over at a border to a stranger in the hope that they will look after them until you go back and fight to save your country. And yet we still have a government that is refusing to let people in. And if you are one of the, the, the very few, I hope that is, that say, but we don't know the threat that these people could cause to the UK, 
go take a fuck to yourself. Go and take a fuck to yourself. 11 year old child, a child, 11 years of age, handed over at a border with nothing but a bag full of bits and bobs and a phone number. The article says a young Ukrainian boy uh, is being hailed a hero after travelling 600 miles to safety by himself. 11 year old from Zaporosfid fled to Slovakia with a single plastic bag and a phone number written in his hand. His mother put him on a train heading for the border in the hope he would be taken in by kind-hearted strangers. In a video, the boy's mother uh, said there's a nuclear power plant next to my town which the Russians were shooting at. It's now on fire. I can't leave my mother. She can't move independently. So I've sent my son alone on a train toward the Slovak border. There he met people with a big heart, a small country with people with big hearts. Please save our Ukrainian children and give them a safe haven. Uh, thanks to the phone number in his hand, the boy's relatives in Slovakia were contacted and they came to pick him up. His family in Ukraine live in the shadow of a power plant, Europe's largest nuclear power station near the Black Sea. Uh, it's taken over by Russian troops after heavy shelling last week, prompting widespread condemnation over fears it could trigger one of the biggest radiation leaks in history. Putin's forces have also taken over Chernobyl, the site of the worst nuclear disaster in 1986. Ukrainian officials warned the Russian leader is risking a large-scale ecological disaster after rockets were also reportedly fired at a nuclear research facility in Kharkiv, which contains nuclear material and a reactor. 11 years of age. Sent to a border. Sent away for his home and his safety. In the hope that someone will look after him. Fucking brutal times, man. Brutal times. So I suppose moaning about a Greg Sausage roll or paying £1.80 a litre it's probably a small price to pay because at least you get to spend at night with your family and your friends and the people you love. And right now, we will never really understand what the people in Ukraine are going through. What a fucking shit time. How does it play out? No idea. When does it end? Not a clue. But something's got to change soon, man, because I think the way things are going, the sanctions, the threat of more sanctions, it's having absolutely no impact whatsoever. And there is a little bit of me, and I suppose a little bit of all of us that thinks there's never going to be a time when we're fighting Russian soldiers on the streets of the UK. But maybe that isn't what the next war looks like. Maybe the next war continues to be in countries so far away we don't know. Maybe it continues to be in countries that we've never been to. We probably likelihood would never visit. So we are still have that element of being detached from it. But when you're seeing things like this and you're hearing stuff like that, how long can we continue to be completely detached from it? I don't know. Odd episode. Odd end. Hey. Can it all be comedy gold? Till next time, stay safe. Look after yourselves. If you're not in the Patreon, become a rascal. Patreon.com forward slash Big Scott Gibson. Extra show every single week. Please do share the posts. Subscribe to the pod. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And I'll see you in the battlefield very soon. Take care of yourself, team. Onwards. <laughs>
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.